Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is high-stakes mixed game player Mike Nori. You may remember Mike from a bet that went viral on poker Twitter a few years back, where he bet he could eat more than $1,000 worth of McDonald's food in 36 hours, which, as Jimmy Frick pointed out, would have been approximately 66,000 calories. Spoiler alert, he failed pretty spectacularly. You actually won't hear anything about this bet covered in this episode because the thing has been discussed ad nauseum, And, well, Mike's probably had enough McDonald's-related items spew out of his mouth for one lifetime. Instead, we focus on the area in Mike's life where he's achieved consistent success over a very long period of time, high-stakes mixed-game poker. In today's episode, you're going to learn where Mike believes his biggest edge as a poker player comes from, a WSOP main event degen story that has a very happy ending, why there's a ton of value in being underestimated at the poker tables, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the fearless, high-stakes, mixed-game crusher, Mike Nori. Mike, welcome to the show, sir. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, Brad? It's going pretty well, going pretty well. Excited to get this thing underway. Shout out to Matt Savage, who made the made the connection here. And yeah. uh, he actually gave me a whole list of things to ask you and talk about. Um, so well, I mean, I, we can go, I can go, we, Matt can go on and on about me for uh, many, many shows. So <laughs> I'm sure that list is pretty long. It, it was. He's like, hey, ask about this. Ask about this. Ask about this. I'm like, all right, man. Uh, I'll do my best, man. I'll do yeah. my best. You got to fil- filter the list for sure. <laughs> yeah. So really, I just want to get started by asking you your story. How did you get involved playing cards? Uh, I watched the first season of the World Poker Tour when I was about 13 or 14 years old. And me and my brother and a couple of our friends were over watching. We're like, oh, this is cool. And we're like, oh, let's try it. And we started playing for like nickels and dimes and like actual, we took our change out of our little change piggy banks or whatever and stacked it up right next to us. And cause we didn't have chips and started playing that way, started playing home games in, you know, middle school, high school and found internet poker and kind of just went from there was the, you know, short answer for that. Yeah. So it, it was a passion at first. Um, first watch right like you, you oh yeah absolutely I mean we were all all our my whole like core friend group in you know middle school high school was all just we were all completely obsessed why? why why do you think you were so obsessed what was it about poker that resonated with you I think like the strategy element of it and the the luck element of it and like just combining those two were just so fascinating to us as kids that we 
were like, we need to learn more and do more with this. And it was just something fun to do. Like, after, like, you know, when we had, you know, lunch breaks and free time at school, we would, you know, bust out the cards and deal, even though we weren't supposed to. So we would have to be, you know, we put the cards right away. If someone, if a teacher or something came by, we'd have to slide the cards away and whatever. But I mean, yeah, we absolutely loved it. Did, did you say close to those guys who were, you know, in your original circle? Did any um, of them? I was the only one that continued to pursue poker um, on a serious level after high school. Some kind of were like, you know, would go play occasionally here or there. But I was the only one that stuck with it. So I was kind of like during college and stuff, I didn't really know anybody that played poker like. I wasn't close with many people. I kind of just figured it out on my own. What, how old were you and what year was that? Um, when we first started playing? Yeah, I think you said like 13. 13, then- 14, 15 probably and started playing, you know, play money on, you know, poker stars and full tilt and party poker like in 2005 and played like the free tournaments and you know, those Hubble's free rolls on poker stars were like all of our friends. We used to play those all the time. So. Yeah. So yeah. Like five years from there, college about 2010 when you were in. No, 2007, 2008. I graduated high school in 2007. So we start, I'm 31 now. So we started, I started playing a decent amount of online poker. I played tournaments mainly. And then I, was kind of bored of I, mean, I played sit and goes also too but i kind of missed the like first initial online poker you know wave where everyone was playing you know on party poker and sit and goes and yeah know. party party poker was gone at that point uh correct yeah by the, the time i turned 18 party poker was was gone so kind of missed that initial wave of the online poker boom um but i played a bunch of tournaments and then played sit and goes also too um and then i kind of migrated into playing mixed games a lot because it's just to break up the tournaments like i played you know a bunch of tournaments on sundays and and all of that so i started playing mixed cash game like on the side to like i don't know just keep me more entertained learn more games was really fascinated learning more games and stuff and that's kind of how i got into playing mixed games which i've done basically since i've 21 on i've basically played a little amount of tournaments and primarily i'm a mixed game cash game player now and you mentioned you were in college what were you in school for did you get your degree and that's a good, that's a good story um so i got i ended up going to school at san diego state for business management and while i was there i basically just played poker the whole time the Indian casinos were close and they were 18 and over. So I would go play cash games there at Verona, Viejas, Saquon. Those three were like, you know, you could get all the action back then. I mean, those games down there in the, you know, late, you know, 2007 to 2009 when I was there was, I mean, they were amazing. Played a lot of online poker during that time too. So wasn't really going to school. So I uh, made it a year and a half there. I uh, then went to I qual I qualified for PCA um, for ninety bucks ninety three dollars and one of those thirty three dollar you know unlimited rebuy thing I was in for only ninety three dollars and somehow winner take all won the seat 
So decided to drop out that. I went to Vancouver to play in the British Columbia Poker Championships in the winter of 2008. And kind of was just traveling, playing poker, went to PCA, didn't do good there and bought into a bunch of other side tournaments that were way above my bankroll there and kind of went sideways. So then I went back home and uh, went to community college for a little bit and played poker here and kind of grinded back online and was like in school part-time and, and not. And then I was doing good again over that summer and said like, well, school's not really for me. So kind of dropped out again, kind of did that the next year or two also went back, grinded, you know, and, and did that. And then finally I ended up graduating in 2015. So I do have my degree, but haven't used it at all, but I kind of just kind of went back and forth between poker and school for, you know, my early twenties. What'd your parents think? of you know you pursuing poker going back to school did, what did you think did you have any thoughts of like just ditching poker um yeah I mean I kind of always you know wanted to make it work and like I don't know I was young and dumb and not really you know focused on like the right things to to make it in poker and gambling and and all that so my dad was always my dad doesn't gamble at all, doesn't even understand gambling or whatever. But, you know, he's always told me, you know, do what makes you happy and, you know, pursue, you know, what makes, you know, you content and all that. As long as you're not hurting others, you're, you know, he's fine with it. So, like, my dad was very supportive of it, but didn't understand it at all. And my mom, it took a while for her to come around. But eventually when I was, you know, had some stability and whatever, they she understood kind of what, you know, she understood it finally. So that yeah. was, that was good. Much easier for moms to trust the process when you're stable and making gains, right? It's uh, correct. Right. Exactly. Right. It's the ultimate, ultimate way to gain trust from your parents. Just have a sustained resume of being successful. And eventually, you know, they're, they're like, whatever. Okay. I, I guess, I guess he's gonna, I guess he's gonna be okay. Um, correct. Right. Exactly. This poker thing. Right. So you mentioned playing in the mixed games. I have to assume uh, uh, CPG guest Sean Snyder. I assume you've probably put in some hours. Yeah, I, play, I played a, he, we, we play together at Gardens a handful of times. I mean, I know he's a San Diego guy. So uh, yeah. we've played a handful of times together, probably maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 ish at the most, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, we played at Gardens a lot. I mean, before all the casinos got shut down here. Um, we played a decent amount together. You're in the LA area now? Yes. I live in Brentwood right now, which is, you know, West LA, kind of right off, you know, Sunset area. Awesome, man. Um, yeah. yeah, so what would you say it has been, like, actually, I want to dive back into your poker story some. What, what stakes do you play typically in the mixed oh. game world? Okay, so, I mean, I started playing, like, uh, 40, 80, Omaha, 8 or better at Hollywood Park. That's kind of, like, where I, like, kind of cut my teeth, like, building, you know, a bankroll and having some stability was playing 40, 80, Omaha, high-low at Hollywood Park. From there, kind of started playing 40, 80, mix, too. We kind of, you know, that Omaha game kind of 
you know, died out eventually. Um, so started playing 4080 mix at commerce and bike and those things. And over the last like two years, I've been playing a 200, 400 mix at Hawaiian gardens or commerce or, uh, Vegas and whatever. So I'd say probably 200, 400 is like my normal limit now. Nice, man. That's, uh, why mix games, you know, when there are a lot of specialists out there, including myself who plays just tons of no limit cash and has right. dipped dipped into the water of PLO for some small percentage of my poker career. Why the attraction to mix games instead of, you know, the more conventional specialist route? Right. Uh, I mean, I think overall, like I'm not the best at any one game, but I think my biggest strength in poker is being able to be better than you know, be above the average in every game and be competent in every game. And, or even if there's a new game that nobody's ever played before and we're like, okay, we're going to try this. I think I'm better at figuring it out quicker than most people. So like, I might not be the best Nolan Holden player or the best PLO player, but you know, I can compete in every game in any format and I'm fine sitting in any, in any mixed game, you know, where, it's a rotation of games and you, you know, people have strengths and weaknesses and being able to know, you know, this person's weaker in this game versus this other game. And, you know, the kind of tendencies from there to, you know, figure out kind of where people's strengths and weaknesses are. Is and one of my strengths. Yeah. Like, and that's a, That's an awesome poker superpower to have. How did you figure out that you had that power to basically, dive into a new game where you're just learning the rules and realize that you're picking it up faster than your competition. I think not having an ego is like the biggest thing and being able to be like, Oh, like, and being able to think back on things and rationally analyze it and be like, you know, that didn't really make sense or that was dumb, you know, or, you know, being able to, you know, check yourself and being, you know, able to accurately analyze what's going on and, you know, not always knowing that you're going to make the right decision, but being able to, you know, trial and error and kind of not being afraid to fail or, you know, do something dumb because at the end of the day, it's probably a it's going to be a learning experience. So, you know, happy to, you know, go down that, go down that route where I think people are either too self-conscious or, you know, afraid to make a mistake or whatever. So, how, how do you balance this, right? Like, how, it, it, it's a, it's always a fine balance, right? Um, this humility with confidence, right? Like, we're, we're humble, analyzing our game, we realize we don't know everything, and we, we make stupid mistakes, and we have lots of room to grow. And yet, we're still confident enough to sit down and believe that we have an edge over the people we're playing against. So how, how do you right. balance that? Um, I think you know, the primary focus is to have the confidence, but then also have that, you know, retrospective time and the reflection and, you know, to go through it. But like when you're in game mode, you know, you got to have that confidence, you know, but you shouldn't be second guessing yourself and doing that. I mean, that most of that other stuff comes away from the table. Yep. I, I agree. Like the time to study is away from the table. The time to learn is away from the table. And when you're at the table, you're executing, you're performing. Um, right. You're going with what you think is best in that moment and have the utmost confidence in that. And then being able to, you know, 
think back and remember what went on and then to try and say, okay, well, maybe I should deviate here from this because this guy's, you know, having a tendency to do more of X, you know. Do you have a do you have any methodology for keeping track of these sort of spots that merit another glance, that merit more in-depth I mean, analysis? Most of the time I'll just write down like a quick note in my phone to just kind of remember to like, you know, after the session on the drive home or whatever, think about something to and then, you know, whatever, go plug in whatever I need to on my computer or whatever and run, you know, equities or whatever for certain spots. But most of the time it's, you know, just like analyzing because in mixed games, it's like player tendencies are huge, especially in limit games. Cause it's, you know, there's no real, you know, there's no betting size. Um, you don't have to worry about betting sizes or anything like that. So it's more of like, Oh, do I think I should be check raising in this spot more because this guy's been, you know, when I check, he bets way too much. So instead of me leading in spots where I normally would against certain players, check raising is going to make me, you know, cause 1.5 it's going to make me like 1.5 bets because he's going to bet 50 percent too much or whatever you know whatever the case may be so it's, it's playing off of the nature of the opponents that you're battling against and sort of figuring out where you know figuring out where they're over bluffing over betting and then just pouncing Correct, right. or if they check back too big of a of a value range and i'm going to be leading more of my value you know it's like kind of you know a basic concept there where you know you got to be like certain players you know are always afraid to get check raised so they're always going to be checking back in spots where other players bet you know 80 90 percent of the time yeah it's uh you know i think that like sometimes folks tend to overthink poker and maybe overcomplicate it a little bit but like human tendency human emotion massive part of determining your poker strategy reacting um, taking advantage of where your opponent's frequencies just don't make sense or where they must be going wrong as it relates to managing their frequencies. Right. And, and in limit games and stuff, I, that, I, I personally think that that's the most important factor. And you know? like how, if you could granularly break that down, how would you do that? Like if somebody out there wants to dive into more mixed games, how would you, if you were them with little experience, how would you approach it? I mean, first I would learn the the horse games before you learn the draw games and stuff, because, you know, those have, you know, easy um, correlations to like, you know, hold them and no limit hold them and PLO and stuff like that. So learning limit hold them is, you know, easier and Omaha is easier and like kind of, you know, the stud games too are a little bit of the same, but not, not as much. So kind of, you know, learning the equities and learning like which starting hands to play in which positions based on which board textures and stud is important. But, you know, basically going down with, you know, learning the equities in there, but then also stressing to them, like, look, you got to pay attention to what people are doing in certain spots. Like some people in stud always steal if they're the last to act against the bring in, they raise a hundred percent of the time. So you need to be defending and you need to be raising, you know, lighter than you would against people who are more selective because, you know, you can get through when they have nothing by fifth street, they're probably going to give up, you know? Yeah. So pay attention again, you're playing against human beings, pay attention to the tendencies. Correct, right. Like we're in Nolan and Holdem and stuff like in, you know, you can kind of go on autopilot, you know, and even in PLO, you could probably go on autopilot just 
play tight and look at your cards and have good hands and, you know, value bet and all that. But like the edge in, in limit games comes from paying attention to player tendencies. You know, the va- I mean, I think that's where the vast majority of the win rate comes from. Yeah. And I mean, even in no limit hold'em, right? Like it's still opponent tendency based. It's Correct. Like- yes, for sure. I, I just think like at the lower limits, you can kind of check out and, you know, just, you know, sit on your iPad and yeah, be a potato, just sit there and wait for right. nuts and get paid um, because nobody's really paying attention. Correct. As, as you move up, you know, for the lister, as you move up in stakes, people are not going to be that unobservant, right? They're going to be, they're, they're going to understand what you're doing and play into your nature. So Correct. you always have to pay attention. I, I think like what I love about no limit is just like bet sizings is such a massive data point that can, you know, you can just crush people if their frequencies are out of whack with different sizes that they choose in different spots um, early in the decision tree and then later in the decision tree even more so because I think like obviously uh, as the decision as you go deeper it becomes more complex and more understudied and people kind of revert back to their defaults as it relates to no limit hold'em but uh, yeah so what are you doing nowadays so like you know you're are you a full-time mixed game player um, I think Matt mentioned you're a businessman. Do you want to talk about your business? Yeah, I got, I got, I got a lot of hats on. Um, I always have had a lot of hats on, you know, from for the last five or six years, I've kind of, you know, branched out and I love playing poker and poker is like a huge passion of mine, but, you know, having multiple revenue streams and other stuff is just smart business and has allowed me to have the freedom to, you know, do other things and like you know i never wanted to have my back up against the wall and be forced to play poker yeah you know so like and also that gives you the freedom to make good choices in poker and and not be too worried about you know next month's rent payment or you know being able to go on this next trip with your buddies or whatever like so i kind of uh got into sports betting five or six years ago we started i started betting player props back then when it was very easy and different than what it is now. I still do a lot of sports betting stuff. I work with, you know, some other groups and, you know, we get down, you know, decent sized volume on, on sports. So sports is, you know, takes up a decent amount of my time. Um, Tell me about that because that's a, that's a tough field to gain a small edge, gain a small edge. And, you know, the swings are big and you got to be able to stomach them. You know, we're, we're trying to win, you know, one to 3%, you know, so like what one to 3% actually feels like what people, you know, think, you know, you're doing because when the times are good, you're, you know, it's, but like 1% over a year is good, really good money, but you know, the swings are, can be vicious. Yeah. They, they can you feel those swings, um, those one to 3% swings over a short period of time. A, a friend of mine who's the smartest human that I know, professional sports better uh, for the last decade or so. And like, yeah, you, you put down big volume, you have big swings, you have really great days, you have really horrible days. So right. you have I to mean, be if, prepared. If people think poker swings are bad, high volume sports betting is even sicker, but... <laughs> 
you know, you got to trust the process and kind of, I just kind of just ride the wave. I don't do any of the analytical, you know, algorithm, you know, making the pick side of things. So I'm more on the management, get making sure we, you know, can get down the right volume that we need to get down. So. And why sports betting? Like, I assume it's just a natural segue from poker that sports. Yeah. And also too, like being in the gambling world, you have good connections to people that are in the sports betting world. So it's kind of just a natural fit and natural progression. So like, you know, there's a lot of people that I play poker with that I also do sports business with too also. So it's, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. And speaking of like those alternative revenue streams, if there's a listener out there that maybe plays poker professionally and, you know, kind of feels stuck in this cycle of life expenses and winnings being about even breaking even for long periods of time, not able to grow their bankroll. What would you say some low hanging fruit to create some additional revenue streams? I mean, I kind of locked into the sports betting thing because I started off betting kind of small and was doing my own thing. And then, you know, met some people that were also in the similar field and kind of had an opportunity to work with them and kind of was able to start small and grow really big. I mean, sports is getting way tougher than what it was. So I wouldn't recommend anybody going into sports now that doesn't have a solid base because starting from nothing now with it, how, how tough it is now versus what it was, you know, five, six years ago, or even 10 years ago before I even got into it. Cause I felt like I even was kind of late to the game from people I talked to, but you know, kind of just figuring out things that you can passively not spend a ton of time with that bring in, you know, some extra money and then kind of grow it from there and kind of just have that mindset of being able to, okay, I'm going to, start here it's going to start as this and like what the vision is so that like in you know one three five years you have something that you're proud of and that can generate more revenue for you so that you can focus on things that you enjoy doing yeah uh, going back to what you said about sports betting my that friend of mine i'm not even sure how active he is in the sports betting world over the last couple of years because he's right. yeah he's like it's really tough now like the 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 sports betting world has gotten exceptionally exceptionally more difficult correct 100 percent. i mean i don't see myself being that actively involved in sports you know in a couple of years but or maybe even one year i don't know well i mean you know you're i'm always evaluating and seeing how things are going and and all that, but I don't think I'm going to be as actively involved as I was, you know, for the last five or six years. Yeah, I, I, I'll buy that. Well, what do you think is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? I think ooh, that's a good question. I think kind of just the like life experiences and being able to, you know, have a really good perspective on life and keeping things in perspective. Cause I feel like people get, you know, lost in the sauce, as they say, you know, like, you know, kind of just, you know, going through life and not knowing like why they're doing what they're doing or not being happy or whatever. But, you know, this kind of has given me the freedom to figure out myself and, you know, be able to do something that I enjoy. Like, you know, I don't feel like I'm working, you know, ever now, which is great even though I'm very busy and doing a lot of things, you know, to make money every day, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm like, Oh, I hate doing this or I hate waking up and, you know, 
reporting to this person or whatever, you know? So like each day's, you know, a different puzzle and you kind of got to solve it and unwrap it. And then, yeah. yeah. That's a great perspective. And you, you, you got to give yourself a little bit of credit there because I've met lots of poker players who are, as they say, lost in the sauce right. and they just show up and are just miserable every single day. Like every single thing is a hassle, even, you know, no matter how small it is, um, just really bad outlooks on life. So I think that like, you know, some credit is due that you have that positive perspective and you're able to really enjoy the process of showing up at the tables and spending right. your life well, force playing cards. Yeah, right. I mean, the biggest thing is is that I don't have to show up to the tables. That's why I love showing up to the tables. Because like, if I had to show up to the tables, I probably, you know, would be miserable. Like if I had to be there and I had to rely on winning you know every day or like you know you know i couldn't sustain like a two or three month downswing or six month downswing or whatever it may be i mean it's tough to keep you know that mental fortitude to be able to go through and keep plowing away when you're like you know my bankroll was you know x and now it's y and like you know especially like in mixed games where i'm at now there's really no drop off you there's 200 400 and like all the whole middle limits that i used to play you know six seven years ago like the 40 80 60 120 even 30 60 those don't exist anymore like it's either you know basically like 200 400 or 12 24 so like <laughs> you know there's no real option to go back down yeah it, it's um i it, it's interesting that it just feels like that's like the young man's cycle, right? The young, the young up-and-comer, hungry person who wants to be a poker pro, they deal with those cycles so much more positively than like somebody who's been in it for a decade, right? That's like has to show up, needs to play poker to pay their bills, goes on downswings and upswings. Those guys, you know, if poker is their only revenue stream, tend to turn out as uh, seeming seemingly much more miserable than you know the young kids who are just hungry and curious and actively engaged and love the game correct yeah for sure and i mean i've you know i've seen my handful of you know poker pros that only did poker and then you know kind of saw where they were headed and i was like that's not for me because i was always like the young guy in the mixed game crowd like you know everyone that was playing mixed games was you know five, 10, 20 years older than me on average. So like, I definitely was like, of the young, I'm for sure one of the youngest, you know, in that like LA poker mixed game crowd, I'm for sure always the youngest player in the game. Yeah. And again, another hat tip for picking up on, you know, learning the wisdom of the peers, the players that you're playing against right, right? Yeah, right. right exactly i mean a lot of these guys like off the table like you know we'd have go up dinners and you know talk about life and all that stuff so you know picked up a lot from them just basically on their journeys and what they did and being open and being you know being able to listen is huge like these guys were you know went through it for, for that so like you know if i can pick up a little bit on it so that i can not make their mistakes and you know learn from their successes like that's a win Oh, it's huge. It right, is so off-the-table so stuff is huge. Like, Yeah, like I, I wish I could go back and have multiple conversations with my 20-year-old self and be like, yo, you got to do this, 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 avoid this. Like it, it would be, it would have saved me a, a lot of 
trouble. Um, in right. But then also too, on the flip side, like, you know, those learning experiences and stuff in my early twenties where, you know, whatever, like, I'm glad I went through that then, then, you know, in my early thirties, I'm 31 now, like as long, you know, I'm, you know, I'm glad I went through that then and, and not now. So like, you know, I'm also thankful that like, you know, I like went through that stuff so that I was open to learning so that I didn't make the same mistakes that I made. Yep. There's, uh, you know, sometimes wisdom gain is just tough and people telling you things doesn't always resonate in the way that it ought to. And, uh, you just got to go through it yourself, learn your lessons and try to come right. out the other side, a better human. Right. But like, if you're, if you went through that stuff in the early twenties and then like, you know, six, seven years down the road, people are talking about, you know, similar things that went on. Like you can at least now relate be like, Oh yeah. Like be more mindful of that. And, you know, kind of recognize, uh, you went through that, like, let's make this a priority not to slip down that, that road. Yeah. And you know, hit rates, not, not always ultra high. Cause again, 21 year olds, they, they, they got to learn their lessons the hard way. They got to, I'm a totally, I'm a totally different person from when, you know, 21 year old me to 31 year old me completely different person. Oh, I don't even know who I was at 20. Right. Exactly. I, I don't I recognize even, like, that human. Right. Exactly. Likewise. Um, you mentioned in the unexpected question, the most unexpected thing to come from your poker journey, the experiences. I wanted to ask you what's your favorite poker experience. If any, just jump to mind. I don't really have like one. I don't, I mean, I don't really have like big, you know, what's a mem- What's a memorable one, right? Just like a day, a, a weekend, a week, uh, just a joyful time in your poker career. Um, probably the world series. I mean, for me, probably the world series. So I've played the main event every year since I turned 21. And even if I didn't have the money to like, when I was 21, I had a $15,000 bankroll and I put 10,000 of it into the main event and, you know, just figured why not me course, busted early day two and, you know, wasn't very happy, but, um, Actually, 2019, I got uh, like 500th in the main event, and uh, that four-day run was like really amazing. Like, I don't really play that much No Limit Hold'em anymore, but I still enjoy playing the main event. Um, you know, can't wait to play the next live one. But cashing the main event for the first time, you know, getting somewhat deep in it and enjoying that whole experience was great. Like I was so excited to wake up every day and it's like, it's hard to really recreate that anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, so I would say di- that is probably my most memorable right now, even though it's not like the best financial or whatever, like it still was really cool waking up, you know, day four and you know, all of that and being able to go play and yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the great joys in life is having something to look forward to, right? Waking up excited like it's Christmas morning and you're Correct. a child. Um, at, you know, I think that monetarily we can say that like Christmas wasn't always, um, <laughs> you know, we didn't gain a lot of things monetarily as kids and Christmas. We got a lot of toys and games and stuff, but like the excitement is like the biggest present, in my opinion, that children get every year, just waking up Christmas morning the anticipation. I think that like, that's something that's undervalued as it relates to just the human life experience. Yeah. 
Right. I mean, that's, yeah. Like, I mean, recently now, especially with like not being able to go, cause I probably played, I mean, I wasn't like a really, you know, hard grinder. Like some guys like that were playing mixed games with me in LA would play, you know, 40, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. I was probably closer to like 15 to 25 a week, but being able to like, you know, put that in perspective and being able to appreciate, you know, the journey and the process and, you know, not making, you know, not getting yourself burnt out and being excited to go play. It's It's a big deal. Oh, it's a massive deal. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you wanna be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you wanna grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the Master of Presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. What would you say? So... Speaking of the process, what does your process look like? Again, as granular as you can for improving your game on a regular basis. So when, you know, the pandemic first hit, um, our game switched online for a while. And that was really good from March to June. It was really strong. But the, the losing players lose way faster in mixed games online because it's just way faster pace versus like live is pretty slow. We're getting maybe, you know, 18 to 24 hands an hour live. If you're playing split pot games and, you know, draw games and stuff, it's really slow versus online. I mean, the hands whip out, you know, we're getting, you know, two to two and a half times more per hour. Um, So even if we were playing smaller stakes, sometimes we'd be playing two tables of really fast games. That's bigger than, you know, what we were playing like if we were playing two tables of 50 100 that's could be as big as two four live you know just on the pace and you know yeah the the volume and plus like emotions come way more into play 
when you're right, saying, it's just easier to click the button. You don't have to look stupid, you know, live thinking about something. So like, right. Yeah. Way. So, I mean, kind of just, you know, reviewing some equity spots and like, should I be opening this in the, in this spot versus this, this range kind of stuff. So just kind of looking at certain spots and just analyzing certain spots now, because I've just, I've played the game for so long that, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not super into the solvers and, and that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I've dabbled, but like, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing out on some things, but that's just kind of not how I, you know, part of my poker process. I mean, it could be one day, but I really don't see that, you know, do they have many, many mixed game solvers? Like for they're, they're out there for sure. I mean, a hundred percent they're out there for sure. Like, especially like in a game, like no limit deuce to seven single draw where it's very, you know, cut and dry. Like you need to be, you know, bluffing at this frequency versus this and stuff. But I mean, we're playing cap games and, you know, it's not, you know, so like if we're playing do seven, no limit at two and 400, it's 100, 200 with a $200 button any. So like, it's still like very player dependent. Cause like, you know, guys will open to 600 or 700. And if you jam on them and they don't have a pat hand, they're going to fold. So you can jam way wider on them than other people who are never folding, you know, and, or, you know, you pat a hand, they're going to break and draw smooth every time. So you can pat wider than you would normally against certain players or whatever. So I, I still think it's very player dependent, but I, the solvers are for sure out there. But being able to take that information and put it in real time in a live setting, I think is is very tough. I mean, it's for sure useful. Don't get me wrong. It's for sure useful. I just think that, I don't know. It's, it's kind of... Yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're saying, right? Like from, from an intuitive perspective and somebody that constructs ranges based on player tendencies, understanding like equilibrium strategies when you're never going to be running into somebody who's playing at equilibrium, right? You're always deviating from equilibrium based on tendencies. It makes Correct. a lot of sense to kind of figure it out while, you know, just figure out tendencies and then figure out what you think the appropriate response is and just execute Correct. Right. Exactly. Cause like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you should be, you know, jamming X amount of hands over this guy's open, but like, is that really going to be winning long-term when he's, you know, I mean, you can plug in. Yeah. He's opening this range, but like how he reacts to your jam, you know, gets a little more complicated and, you know, going down that path, I guess is, you know, well, like it's a lot more, a <laughs> lot more complicated, especially if like somebody's emotionally compromised, if somebody's winning for the session, like all of right, these, like, right, exactly. A lot of mixed game guys, like if they're winning, they're tough to play against, but if they're losing, I mean, I'm not leaving, you know, like that's how drastic it gets. And like, too, it's like in limit games too, when you get stuck and you lose, you know, a lot of, you know, you lose. 20 bets or 30 bets it's hard to dig out of that hole mentally for the session so like a lot of people just start chasing and they you know make their losses instead of losing you know 25k at two and 400 they can lose like 60 70k you know and it's like you know it's tough for me to ever lose you know those big of numbers because it's just i'm not going to do what they're doing trying to chase yeah that's another element of human beings that are hard to solve right this jekyll and hyde nature 
Where... Right, exactly. Because like if, you know, this person's opening, you know, if they're getting it all in and drawing two cards and no limit single draw, like you need to be doing something way different than what the solver says, you know, like. Yeah, it's, so. uh, again, the human element, it's part of what makes poker such a beautiful game is just playing against the same player who's in different emotional states and they're going to be choosing different actions based on how they feel. Um, it just makes poker super fun for me and super complex. And really like, it's hard to, it's hard to nail down the right solves for those specific situations when strategy just deviates based on emotion. Correct. Right. Exactly. So like, I'm kind of in, you know, I'm definitely agreeing with you and whatever, and I'm sure there's going to be other people that have, a vastly different view and you can say okay yeah well if this guy's opening 100 percent, th these are the you know these are the you know solves and these are the actions you need to take versus this guy that's on you know monkey tilt or whatever and you know that but i feel like figuring out because like also too like when you're like learning poker from like a solver perspective it's hard to like when you know curveballs and wrenches get thrown at your way like you need to be able to have that intuitive, you know, and that pattern recognition and that, you know, understanding like their emotional stability and all that to be able to make a good decision also, because like, you're not going to be able to memorize everything. Right. Like You're not going to be able to memorize and execute and then also adjust on the fly correctly. Right. Like it's just, a right. and there's also two, there's multi-way pots and like, you know, being able to push one guy out or, or, or trap one guy in there, especially in limit games is like huge, which is more complex and more intuitive than what the solvers are. Cause solvers are usually one V one. Correct. Under my, I'm, I'm totally. Yeah. yeah Multi-way, like the complexity just grows exponentially. Correct. Right. Exactly. So like in limit games, there's tons of multi-way pots yeah. way more so than no limit hold them, you know? Um, so being able to know when to put in that extra bet or when to, you know, trap and let this other guy in is huge. So like figuring out like, you know, yeah, maybe you do, you, you, you do want to just call where the solver would say jam, because you know, this other guy behind you, you know, is taking advantage is going to pick up on that, that this guy's opening huge. And like, you're trying to get in there cheap and well, now they're going to shove and now you have a monster and now you've gain a ton of equity by doing something that's the exact opposite of what the solver would say in that spot against this one open yeah calling to create an over aggressive action to trap an opponent taking advantage of another opponent's tendencies Correct. Um, right exactly <laughs> yeah right. So, I mean, part, and the list goes i mean the list goes on and on of those type of spots yeah i mean it it just makes more sense to me like you can use solvers for efficiencies and may, maybe precision in some of these spots and but, a baseline too. And a baseline. Good. Yeah. And but when it comes to deviating and thinking on the fly, like there's no powerful tool than your human intuition and your human ability to navigate those spots. So you right. know, and your experience too. Like me, you know, even two years or three years ago, it's like, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, what was I doing? You know, like there's spots and hands that I'm like, oh, that was terrible. Or, you know, I was too gun shy here and I should have taking a more aggressive action or, you know, stuff that I didn't do then. Now I do now, you know, like certain, whatever. Yeah. You know, you're learning, right? Hands in certain spots that I would fold before or vice versa, you know?
it's part of the process, like this learning, right. this evolution, becoming a stronger player year after year after year. But it's uh, also evolving too. Like people were doing things differently two or three years ago. So maybe that was right back then, but now it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, it's a, a different perspective because it, you're playing a different game. Right. I want to ask you the opposite question of the, you know, your most joyful moment, your most painful moment. When you think of pain in your poker career, what's the first um, memory that comes to mind? So that first summer, actually, and now I got, now that you asked that question, I have an answer for the, like one of the happiest moments. So after the first world series, I had $15,000 left and I put 5,000 in the 5k PLO eight tournament and got it in really good about nine away from the money and didn't work out and was devastated then played the main event and was basically you know i was basically down to like crumbs you know like so my friend good friend at the time uh greg sessler said come to reno come play these hundred dollar tournaments you know there's a 1k main event you can satellite in it's really soft let's go up there so we go up there and i go play like small no limit cash and kind of take the thousand or so or whatever crumbs that i have left and you know turn it into like three or four thousand but like i mean busting basically like my like you know roll from those two tournaments was straight pain and then being able to go up there and have to grind these small you know i'm playing a hundred dollar freeze out tournament when i was just playing a five and ten k you know like and playing one two no limit and trying to win you know that was pain humbling yeah so humbling and we kind of went from there and then the first mega millions was down there and uh he didn't do so good on the reno trip so i was like come down here like you know i'll buy half your action in these tournaments and uh this was when they had 20 opening flights and we were both over 14 and down to our last money again and he ended up getting second for like 140,000, which kind of vaulted Ooh. my poker career so that was like really nice because I had busted all of them and was like you know what am I going to do now okay I guess it's back to school and you know back to the grind again and run up some money again and all of that and yeah so I mean luckily he uh got second in that tournament for about 130 140 how did it feel watching that go down I, I imagine that was a pretty nice sweat oh yeah I mean right I mean I was at that final table uh he, the payouts were absurd. First was 300,000 and ninth was 10,000. So like, I mean, it was just utterly absurd. And I came in there like with ICM, like ready to go. Like my buddy was late to the final table. I had everyone, I had already had everyone agree to a chop and like play for X amount. And my buddy comes in there slightly drunk too. And this is like, you know, you know, noon. Exactly like, what you want to see. Like, Look, yeah. Everybody's agreed. You're going to get 70,000. And you're going to play for about 50,000. They're, they're going to leave 50,000 over or whatever, you know, approximately those things. And he's like, no deal. And like ninth is 10 or, or yeah, 10 K eighth is 15 K. Like the jumps were just in, insanity, like just complete nonsense. And he had, they end up making a deal like, uh, I think five handed and, you know, play for some money heads up and, yeah, I mean, that was huge. And then I final tabled the 1K horse right Let, after that. Let's, let's go back. Why didn't he want to take the deal? Like, well, he, he's... I, 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 
I still to this day don't know why he didn't want to take that deal right away. Like I came in there and, you know, I, I wasn't even at the final table, but I, I was basically showing everyone, okay, these are the numbers. If you guys want to chop, these are the numbers. This is what everyone's going to get. If you agree, cool. If you don't like whatever, we'll go play and move on. So eight people are there. My buddy is not there yet. Okay. And like the final table is like about to start. And then like he strolls in at like the last possible minute and says, no, I want to play. Like, I think he just wanted to win the 300 K, you know, like he just had that in, in his mind. I'm like, dude, we both have no money. Like let's, this is like a solid starting point. Like 70 K will get us a long way. Like, you know, yeah. He's like, no, no deal. Right, right, You're exactly. like, five, five K is going to move the needle. Nothing for us. You know, we get five K each or I, I think I probably, I was probably going to get like whatever, 40% of it net after giving him his, you know, pre-roll piece or whatever on it. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, that was pain, but also, you know, a good outcome. Of, he, yeah, he, yeah. he didn't just bust out right in ninth, right? You're like, you're like his ambassador making the deal. And then he shows up and he's like, no. No right, I'm like, what? Oh my God. I'm just like, oh, here we go again. And he, he got all in, in a flip and, uh, with like seven left, which is like 20 K at this point only. Oh Jesus. He gets all in with a flip, like ace 10 verse fives. And it comes like 10, seven, three and turns a five. And luckily like that, you know, that five is huge. I'll still remember that five. Like, oh my God. Yeah, he I had know. the, he had the five. So he just. Guy right, flop, so, flops right. but, and, I mean, look, when the flop came 10 high, like you're done. Okay, 10K, like here it comes, boom, five. <laughs> Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, so you move on right after that tournament. You, you know, you got your 70K or 60K or however much it ends up being. Your I don't know, so you cash for like, yeah, so I got like probably about like 60 ish K from it. From that score, I got about 60K from it. So that kind of propelled me. And then I played the 1K horse. I think a couple of days later after that, I got second in that for like 20K, 17K, I think maybe somewhere in that range. I know we made a deal. I don't remember the exact details of it, but that kind of propelled me into playing, you know, then I started playing 408008 and kind of just know, went up, took off from there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was like the, that. I mean, I might not be a poker player had he not, like, if he just busted, you know, on day one instead of day, instead of the final table, which was, you know, four days later, like, this was a, this had, like, 16,000 runners, you know? It's, like, a Sunday million almost, more or less, because it was, like, you know, it was a $230 buy-in. You got 12K in chips, and, like, yeah, I mean, it could have worked out way differently. Who knows where I'd be if that was, you know, if he doesn't make that final table, so... Even if he just busts out a ninth, right? Like, right, yeah, he or just... if he busts out a ninth, exactly. Like, if he just busts out a ninth, like, who knows what happens, right? Yeah. Uh, fate, fate works in mysterious ways. I can get behind that. <laughs> imagine, imagine there's a carbon copy of yourself who's, you know, 20, 21 years old, getting into poker. If you could sit down that kid, give him some advice, what would you say? Stay focused. I mean, well, I would probably say don't get into poker, honestly. Like, or if you want to be in poker, like poker's great, but have other things going on. Like don't make poker your sole focus because like, it's just so easy to get lost in, you know, the mindset of like being a pro poker player and like how, how, how draining it is and how mentally taxing it is. Like 
poker's a great game and an amazing way to make money and to have fun and meet very interesting people and have, you know, uh, connections with a wide range of people that you would normally not get anywhere else. You know, like I have friends, you know, close friends that are, you know, 21 to, you know, 60, you know, like that we go hang out, have dinner with, talk about whatever, like it's, that's very rare in, you know, today's society to have such a, you know, wide range of friend groups and, and all this, that, and the other, but I would tell, stay focused, you know, don't get so heavily involved in like making sure that you're like, worry about the, making the, the good decisions, not worrying about the results as much and being so caught up in the results, but be, you know, be responsible, kind of just like, you know, pay attention more and like, yeah, it's, it, that's a hard, <laughs> it, it, it's real hard because I have, I have a feeling that like, you know, our younger selves are like, yeah, whatever, man, we're gonna, we're just gonna fire, we're gonna go with this. Maybe, maybe like all that hardship is just a barrier to entry, right? Like, maybe you just have to be Cut, like halfway right because like right because like if somebody just hands you the keys and tells you all these things like yeah that's great but like i've learned so much of from like you know uh all the like hardships and stuff like when i was going and playing those indian casinos when i was like 18 19 i had like a two or three k roll and instead of playing like one three i'd go play five ten and go home stone broke and like those hundred mile because i lived a hundred miles from these casinos either chumash morongo or the you know the ones even down in san diego even further but like driving home stone broke with one of my buddies and just talking about like what went wrong and all that like those are so invaluable now looking back on those like where if i didn't have those experiences like you know who knows where i would be today versus then so like you know i value those things too because like if you don't take enough risk either that's also really bad you're not giving yourself the full potential yeah that's another lesson in life right if you never fail you're often staying in your comfort zone too much and not taking enough risks um and that's just for growth all these things at least it happens as a 20 year old right we learn our lesson young with minimal responsibility and able if to i fell be... on my face i had people there to pick me up and you know help in some capacity where you know now it's a different story you know yeah what would you say some some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with common poker advice that i disagree with mm, probably you know an overemphasis on like that there's a right answer to a situation you know like people are like okay yes yeah, so you should be doing this in this spot i think like if you're always doing something in this one spot then somebody's gonna do why to counter that or if they're paying attention like i don't think there's always a right answer and people can say yes okay yes you should be doing you sh you know you shouldn't be doing whatever whatever it is in whatever spot but i i think like that there's a right like you can always solve for a right answer i think yes okay in in, in some instances you can but to be reliant on that as a poker player i think is not good yeah it's uh had maria konnikova on the podcast talking about her book the biggest bluff and one right. of her one of her things you know eric seidel her mentor uh what she put in my billboard question was less certainty 
more inquiry. And that's just such a beautiful way to sum that up, right? Like less certainty, more inquiry. Right. right. Not so, so not always assuming that there's a right answer, I think is my big thing. Like, or even if there is a good answer, is there a better answer, right? Like right. not just stopping on a good answer. Is there, can you level up? Can you improve to an even better answer than, than a good answer, right? Like I can manufacture variables that basically incentivize all types of wacky play um, at right. the poker table and wacky decisions that don't really make much sense looking at it just from like a the 50,000 foot view, but like you get in it and then scenarios develop where you just have to deviate, think on the fly and try to be the, try to be the poker player that makes the better adjustments. Correct. Yeah. I mean, my big thing was, you know, like, you know, anybody can justify any play that they want to make, you know, and you can say a couple smart things that sound right. And you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. But like, does it really? No. I mean, I can justify doing something wacky because I'm setting somebody up for something later, but like, is that smart or whatever? Probably not, you know, like, but I can justify, you know, almost any play with some wacky, I can come with some wacky reasoning or rationale for it that, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, well, I didn't want to look stupid, but at the end of the day, it was probably stupid. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, I think that the major problem as it relates to poker players is that they would rather seem smart than make the money. Like they want other people to think they're smart rather than just making the decisions that capture the most EV and make the money. Um, right. I mean, I think a big thing too is like, you know, people are always caught up with how their peers view them, you know, like. Yes, validation seeking. Right, exactly. So like, I would always rather be underestimated on my abilities than like, you know, overestimated, you know, because like, I mean, obviously there's a big switch to like private games and, you know, that whole thing. And so like, you know, you want to be underestimated. You don't want to be like known as like this killer, you know, who's the best of the best because you're not going to get in games now. I mean, when things go back to normal where casino poker's, you know, regular again, it's going to be a lot of politics and who you know and all that stuff. So like, I mean, I can take it or leave it. If like, if I'm left out of certain games, fine. That's like a compliment to me, but I'm also, if I'm invited in those games too, it's like, you know, they must think that I'm not that good at something. So that's why I'm here. So, but being able to be cognizant and aware of that is huge, you know, because just because, just because like your peers don't understand what you're doing, doesn't mean it's even bad or wrong. Right. 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 I mean, they don't see my cards, you know, 80% of the time. So like they might see me turn over some hand in some spot that they'd be like, Oh, I never, you know, I never have that there, but like, they don't know the other nine hands that I followed previously to that, like what was going on or I did something well that they didn't think of or vice versa or whatever. So it's like, it's very hard to judge like in mixed games, especially like, because like if you're running bad, like it might look like you're just torching it, you know, like where you're just in unavoidable spot after unavoidable spot. And just like, you know, cards aren't breaking your way in that one thing. But then, then people think you're just, you know, on tilt and playing every hand and, whatever the case may be. So it's like very hard to tell, like, especially like within like this similar skill rate, you know, skill grouping of, of players, like who's better than who, or, you know, what, what the hierarchy is where like in no limit hold and PLL, like, you know, who the best players are. Yeah. It's very easy to tell like in a nine handed game who the, 
the best and second best are. Where like in a seven-handed mixed game, there might be three recreational players and then there's four pros. Of those four pros, it could be very interchangeable like on a given day who looks the best. And you could look at and observe that game and be like, oh, this guy's the best. But then same, same, same group a week later of those four pros, the one that you said was the best might be, you might look and say, oh, he's the worst of those four. So it's like, it's very, it's very hard to tell the difference between the, all the top players because the decisions are so small and so it's so hard to pick up on. Like, but then when you do recognize, it would be like, oh, wow, like, this guy picked up on this spot and like, you're like impressed that he did X against you or whatever. And you're like, Oh, he, he knows what he's doing, you know? And like, you, you got to give him his props. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, when you're in it, right? Like when you're an expert, you see the subtle nuanced things that separate good and great in action. And that is, you're able to see that. Um, and then give that respect. Right. Whereas like, Correct, but that might only happen once an hour or once every two hours or something. And if you're not paying attention, you might miss it, you know? Yeah. Like, or if you don't know what to look for, right? Like you correct. just, in mixed games, I could see that being way, way more heavily disguised than in like No Limit Texas Hold'em, right? Like you- Correct, yes, 100%. Right, so that's huge, huge positive in the mixed game column of disguising, you know, it's hard to discern who's the best player, who's the best pro at any given time. And that allows you to probably play in some games, uh, some private games, get invites that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get. Correct. Right. And, and being, you know, personable and, you know, that helps not a robot. <laughs> correct. And I mean, a big thing now is being able to lend to certain players. Like that's kind of the key to getting into some of these games is being able to lend, which is not always fun, but it's kind of, you know, unnecessary thing to have to do. So uh, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not in that scene right now because it seems right. I mean, that's kind of why I've, I've, I've pulled away from it. You know, like I'm not like a quote, like I'm not like a regular cause like the regulars do, but like I can, you know, I don't get in all the good games. I don't, you know, even before March when all this stuff, like I didn't get in the best games, but I got into some and enough and I played when I wanted to play and like, didn't have to get in all that stuff. But if I wanted to like, you know, when poker restarts in LA in normal capacity, all these things that were existing, you know, got broken down. So now it's going to have to be start back over again. So like, if I do want to jump back into that thing, like I have to know that that's like the type of things that you have to get into to be in the right spot. So like I can either, you know, play very few hours or I can, maybe I want to play a bunch of hours and, have to be in that situation so just kind of evaluating what i want out of the situation and you know going from there yeah it's it's a tough path sort of the game has just changed from you know studying preparing showing up playing cards cashing out going home there's a whole nother game game within a game that you've got to be good at and skilled at who you know who you're comfortable lending to how much to lend them versus like when then you're not going to get paid back or it's going to be really slow to get paid back or you know knowing what their other situations are and that they owe x y and z like now are you at the bottom of the list like but then you also too don't want to press them too much to ask for the money back because then they might not show up again i mean it's just the list goes on and on (laughs) yeah again 
I don't envy anybody that's in that cycle and has to deal with that because that's right, a lot of I mean, added the, stress. The, the games won't run if certain players aren't there, especially in LA. Like the games just won't run. Yeah, I, so, I definitely believe that. Just got to do what you got to do. That's the the nature of the beast. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? Well, one that's recent was Mike Sexton's book. And, you know, I played golf with him and had, you know, a handful of conversations with him. I, I think his book, I mean, you know, I, that's a recent one that I've read. But, you know, that one, I think, puts the poker player's lifestyle into perspective the best and kind of gives you that perspective that, you know, it it shows like the ups, the downs, the, you know, the nitty gritty, like somebody that, that, that that's been through it, you know, like, you know, cause this is, you know, his story, you know, like it shows like from when he was, you know, and he also had a vision to, you know, have additional revenue streams outside of poker too, which are, or within poker, but not him, not requiring him to play poker. Right. Party so, poker. That was the right. Right, to have that vision, exactly. To have that vision, you know, and the World Poker Tour, too, also, you know. So, like, you know, all of that. And, you know, Mike is a great – nobody has a bad word to say about him. And, you know, he's – he was a really awesome dude, and, you know. Yeah, I had uh, Matt Savage on the podcast, and that was, you know, near – really close to near the end there. And, yeah, it's just a, you know, kind of a – brutal gut punch and massive loss for the poker world and yeah i i've spoken with many many human beings in the poker world and not one human has said anything bad about mike sexton so right, right. that's that's a testament to who he was so especially yeah. when you know poker players as well as we do <laughs> Correct. right exactly right you get the whole range of yeah 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 so check out mike sexton's book what is yeah. the name of it i i i used to gamble Life's a gamble. Yeah, I was blanking, yeah. blanking on the name. It's story based, right? Bunch of uh, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, you know, story based, easy read. Um, my yeah. favorite type of poker book. Right. Not too much strat. There's no real strategy in there. Just kind of, it just gives you perspective on somebody that's been through it and you know their experiences and how you know you can you know how it relates to you know poker now. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino, what would it say? Is this more for professional poker players or just poker players in general? 
either one, whoever, whoever it is you want to give a, a short bite-sized message to. Stay humble. Yeah. Humility. It's hard being arrogant in the poker world. It's an easy way to go broke. It's an easy way to right. struggle. Right. Exactly. I think humility is huge. You know, it's going to make you, you know, reflect and, you know, check your ego at the door. Like, you're going to get gut punched a bunch and being able to stay humble and, you know, stay, you know, even keeled is huge. So I think just stay humble would be my uh, billboard. Yeah, because when you're arrogant and you get gut punched, you start victimizing yourself. You start blaming everybody in the world and every other thing in the world for what's going on besides yourself. And it's really hard to learn from correct you're like why me why am i unlucky why did i take this bad beat like this only happens to me like that gets you nowhere no i i've never met a successful poker player a long-term successful poker player that has that mindset and has that outlook right i mean you're 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 drawing dead from from the from the jump if you think like that you're just i mean because you know it's gonna follow you around like that's just like a dark cloud you know over your head at that point like and then now you don't have the confidence either um, to make the right decision because you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to be unlucky in this spot or I'm going to like this high equity spots. I'm going to lose the flip in this high equity spot and this sucks. And yeah. yeah. Whenever you have that aura too, guess what you repel? You repel all the people that could possibly help you and you attract the people who are just like you. So like you don't right, get right, wisdom. Exactly. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a vicious cycle that, you know, basically make guarantees failure yeah i mean and that kind of goes back to the thing of like having a good friend group that is supportive and understands and like you know they don't have to do what you do but like being able to have a supportive friend group and support system in poker is huge like there's very few people that are total lone wolves that do well in poker because like it's just you need to have that interaction and that being able to either escape or be able to discuss and you know talk about what's going on in your poker life it it, it's a necessity like you said lone wolves at the highest levels just don't exist they're they all have these peers these mentors the people that they talk to that they bounce ideas off of the people that they seek guidance from Right. I mean, it doesn't even have to be strategy. It doesn't even have to be strategy related, you know, like absolutely not. Right. Uh, Just life related. Right. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Having somebody that's dealt with the shit that you're going through is just invaluable when you need it. Um, Right. Or somebody that's not just going to tell you yes, every time that you say, you know, this, whatever, and they're going to, you know, check you and like, make you think about situations and like, you know, all of that is invaluable yep need need challenging as well so i have a couple questions here from from matt that i'd be remiss not not to ask i'm I'm, I'm ready for these (laughs) so he wants he wants me to ask you about a coin flip versus him and three others that you won that story oh that was very recent so we were at cascada in uh vegas and uh one of my good friends noah offered you know another golfer in our group we got a you know large matt puts on a golf tournament every year 48 gamblers and 
uh, 48 to 60 gamblers every year or poker industry people, wide range of people that Matt's known over the years. Uh, so we have a large uh, golf gambling group and whatever. And there's some, some, some guys are nittier than others. I'm definitely on the, uh, I'm the opposite of that. I'm more on the D-Gen, like the gamble, you know, uh, side of things. And uh, so one of my friends said, you know, before golf, we're going to flip a coin with this other guy. And uh, uh, he offered him minus 110. So he laid 1100 to 1000. And then, you know, Matt doesn't really like to gamble that big on the golf course in comparison to others. Um, but he's really tough out there. Um, but I said, if you want to take, you know, I gave him, you know, Matt's done right by me and a good dude. So I said, you know, and I like to give a little action, but I said, if you want to take, the knit side of this, I'll give you uh 1250 to a thousand because this guy's a knit and unlucky. So he's not going to win. So I gave Matt 1250 to a thousand, but he had to take, you know, uh Stu's side of it. So he, uh, he, he took that and me and uh, Noah won the coin flip. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> Poor Matt. But like, yeah, I mean, I laid 1250 to a thousand on a coin flip. I mean, not, not ideal, but you know, it was fun. And it was worth the story either way. So, right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, hundred... just kind of the fun things we do. I mean, I mean, if we had a TV crew or a camera crew follow us around on the golf course, I mean, it'd be great TV. I would love to see that on TV. I, I can't imagine some of the stories that have happened in poker lore that are just forgotten about, or nobody's ever discussed publicly. I'm sure that they're just some amazing, amazing stories. Oh my God. So many good, like there's just so many good golf gambling stories or, I mean, obviously like I've had my history with prop bets and failed prop bets and you know, all of that. So yeah, the, the, the failed doomed to failure, uh, McDonald's prop bet. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's a story for another, I mean, I could yeah, go we, into that for a while, but you know, we don't have to, we can, we'll just touch on it. You can, listener right now you can google it to learn more right about, it uh, kind of went viral and went through that but i got through about 100 and threw in the towel and yeah apparently it turns out human beings struggled to eat seventy thousand calories in a couple of days <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of got drunkenly roped into it and it went viral and dan blazarian and him posted about it and it went absolutely nuts so i was like oh, i'll give it a try but like i was never 100 percent committed to like training or getting into it like i thought maybe there was a chance but no there wasn't yeah like kobayashiing it i guess uh maybe joey Ch i would bet joey chestnut could do that right now the top wherever the top professional eaters are right now give them 36 hours i bet you they could get it all down uh, formulate I mean, the right plan on eating and put in the the math and the time and the work and training their stomachs i think they could probably accomplish it oof Man, I, I mean, it would not feel fun, but I think that they could, they could do that for sure. Yeah, uh, oof, I, it's tough for me to even imagine the process of going through that sort yeah. of thing. I mean, it's like training for a marathon, or even worse than that. But I would imagine it's something of that capacity. Yeah, Matt wanted me to ask you why you perform so well in tournaments versus regular rounds, golf <laughs> tournaments. Yeah, <laughs> part of it is like. Uh, when I'm playing in tournaments, I usually select the forwarder, the closer tees. So I'm playing from a shorter distance. I don't hit it that far, but I don't know too. And it's like probably the focus. Cause like, I mean, I've 
you know, go out and play the same stakes in tournaments that I would in just random rounds. But I think part of it's focus and like the competition of a tournament aspect versus just like a random round, you know, and like, if it's like a three day or a four day tournament, like I'm more dialed in and more like I want to win versus like, if I'm out there just like after this interview, I'm going to go play golf with a couple of my buddies. Like, you know, it's tough for me to like have my a game all the time you know it's not from a like a sandbagger or just perspective it's just like i care more when it's a tournament versus when it's not and it's totally not a money issue you know it's like when it's a tournament i want to win like so i'm like you know laser everything focus. matters a bad shot if i hit a bad shot you know today like that might cause me to make you know triple or quad or like in a tournament i might make bogey or double off of that shot you know i don't let my mistakes compound like in that in that capacity yeah because it hurts you overall right you're playing like again it's like a game within a game you're trying to compete in the tournament minimize mistakes and you have a bad round it's like whatever i've got to play again tomorrow or next right exactly right like i'm more focused on like you know you know on my like swing thought and and process so like yeah i might like that's why people think like people that see me golf like either think i'm like i can shoot any number or I, or I'm the worst golfer ever. Like there's no in between, you know? So it's like either I'm like dialed in and like playing way below my handicap or I'm playing way worse than my handicap. And they're like, I want to play golf against this guy every day, you know? So like, I have that like wide range and like golf, you know, there's tons of variance in golf. Like, you know, guys can go out there and shoot, you know, I'm a, 12 index right now so like i mean i can go shoot you know low 80s but i can also shoot high 90s like it just depends on like the core setup the length and stuff like that like if i go play back like the back tees i play like 7,000 yards i'm gonna go shoot 95 every day my index is gonna be 16 17 but if i go take that 16 or 17 index and i go play 5,700 yards i'm gonna be way better than what my handicap is so like being able to like know and there's a lot of you know similarities between golf and poker like being able to know like how your uh, opponents perform on certain courses and all that other stuff. And like the negotiations that go on and like some of these bets and whatever, like there's a lot of like, you know, everyone that I play golf with is very honorable, reputable. And like, we trust each other completely. Nobody's trying to like cheat or game the system or any of that, but, but like, there's still like a lot of psychology. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of psychological warfare that, that that's right going there's on. a lot of needling on the golf course being able to take that and still hit a good shot after they you know you know rib on you or whatever like yeah it's the it's the stakes it's the pressure element right the pressure right. element I mean, and, and we're also too we're not gambling super high but we're making it so that it's relevant and that, that we care you know like you know nice bottle of wine you know comparable stakes are like nice bottles of wine you know a good meal out like stuff like that like we're playing for like those type of stakes where you can win or lose that type of stuff there. We're not playing like if we go out, like the people that I play poker with, like we play 200, 400 mix, you know, we're not gambling for those equivalent stakes on the golf course, you know, right. We're, right. Our, our poker swings are much bigger than our golf swings. Cause like, you know, poker and golf go hand in. A lot of guys that I play poker with also play golf. So like we go play golf, but we're playing golf for an amount that's like fun and still like competitive, but not, where we can hurt each other, you know, or like people are going to get offended over like 
whatever. Oh, well, I think you should have, I think the ball crossed here. So you need to drop here versus there. So we just always give the person the benefit of the doubt in those spots. And, you know, it's not going to make or break anybody on if they dropped it five yards closer or 10 yards, wherever, you know, like just kind of on that. Yeah. I mean, we talked earlier about anticipation, right? Like having these bets with your friends, beating your friends, competing against your friends monetarily. I mean, that builds anticipation that makes it worthy of looking forward to. It makes it exciting. It makes it more fun. Um, and again, playing golf for, for $0. I like, I mean, why even play, you know, but like, it doesn't have to be big money. You know, it just has to be something that's, you know, worth competing for. I promise you, I'm not going to be playing poker for zero money against my friends. Uh, you're never right, going exactly. to catch It'd me. It'd be like you going and playing like one cent, two cent even, or, or zero, or just for the fun of it. Like, you're not going to do that. You know, it's like, what's the enjoyment in that? Exactly. Exactly. What's a, what's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart? I've lost a bunch of weight recently, and I've got into running and like, you know, working out and eating clean and all of that. So like, that's like over the last four months I've gone from pro and I, I, and I've done this too with no weight loss bet because five years ago I went from like 225 to like 173 in four months for a weight loss bet and you know slowly gained it all back and like wasn't sustainable you know I was just focused on that goal you know but recently now I'm you know running four or five days a week uh four months ago I couldn't even do do a mile I can do a 10k now in under an hour so like been kind of you know really obsessed with that and like and doing it too for no monetary gain is like super rewarding you know tell me about that why is it super rewarding and what are you doing it for now as compared to before well, we I just kind of that. was like so we were going on a golf trip to um abandoned dunes and you have to walk all the time there and like i felt like you know if i wanted to compete there and, and do well there like i needed to be able to go and you know walk be able to walk 13 14 miles and not feel like complete shit you know because like i i i, I would have been able to do it but i would have been super sore the next day having to do it all over again you know because we're doing 13 14 miles for five days in a row like it's a serious golf trip you know so like i wanted to be able to compete and you know play my best there so like the six weeks before that i started walking a bunch and you know wasn't even running at that point, you know, just went out and, you know, would go for a walk for four or five, six miles and like kind of just built it up from there and, you know, went on that golf trip, played really good golf there, haven't really played good golf since, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that goes back to mass point of me playing good on golf tournaments and whatever, but, uh, you know, kind of, and, you know, I focus too, like I, you know, was going to the range before leading up to that. Like I was really practicing hard and like getting in shape for that and getting my swing, you know, better than what it was during that, that time. So like, and then kind of too, just like feeling good and like playing good golf there and like feeling good walking the courses every day. Cause there's no carts out there. Um, I kind of just continued during that path and like, it just kind of felt good. And like, I wasn't really, you know, I haven't really played hardly any poker um over the last four months or so so kind of replacing my time that I was playing poker and focusing on poker with like working out running uh making better food choices and just kind of being more cognizant of it like yes I still go out to like 
nice meals when I'm in Vegas with my friends and drink and do all that. But being able to like the next day, wake up and then like go for a run, you know, because I went and, you know, ate like shit the night before and drank a bunch and whatever. But like, so like having that routine is so rewarding now where like, I can kind of see myself, like, it's more of like a lifestyle change than like a profit change now like I do it for me which is so rewarding because like in poker everything's like monetary driven and results driven and success driven I'm like I'm just doing this for me now which is great like you know like the, the weight loss was like basically gradual too like you know one or two pounds a week and you know eight pounds eight to ten pounds a month or something like that like so like I can go eat like shit and I'm not going to just go balloon right back up and like it's not like fake weight loss now where like before like you know you can cut down and like starve yourself and you know dehydrate yourself to get down to a certain number where like now I'm just kind of I'm happy with how I did it you know so it's like so rewarding to have that yeah I mean money is surprisingly not a great long-term motivator to for human behavior um you've got to want it you want to you have to change your lifestyle and it's got to means something to you that's you know more emotional than just winning a bet right it's like i want to be healthy so that i can um have more energy in my day-to-day life so that i can live longer so that i can whatever be right yeah be more attractive to my spouse so that i can have more energy to play with my kids i mean all of these things are such better motivators and like i i can tell you i because online poker player, right? We're not known for our um, intimidating physiques. I, right. yeah, I, I was uh, really out of shape. I took my kids to, you know, like amusement parks and water parks and stuff and just always felt like cranky and tired at the end of just walking around all day, standing in lines, being in the hot sun. And like, I went balls to the wall to the gym for like a year straight and took my kids to the water park the next year and it was like night and day like they were getting tired they were getting whiny and i was like like, what's next what's next what's next like that's so rewarding like that's worth whatever i always said like if i got to x dollars i would be happy i made it like everything's great there's there's no x x doesn't exist because like yeah sure like i'm comfortable and i can and i i can sustain my lifestyle and like i don't have to like i don't have that stress of like being able to survive like needing to survive or like where the next rent payment's coming from or any of that. But like, so what make you know, what's your passion? What's your, you know, what gets you up in the morning now that you're comfortable Yeah, you know? it, so like, and finding stuff that's not monetarily driven is huge. So like, it, that's kind of what's consumed me. Yeah. The, the, now cha- over the last four months. Yeah. I mean, the chase for money is never ending, right? You, you meet in poker. We get to meet, ultra wealthy guys we get to play poker against them and like there are people with 200 million dollars that feel poor um in comparison to their peers right like right right exactly and and like people too like like you know people make like there's certain pros that would make fun of guys who are really bad but they have they could lose every day and it wouldn't change a day in their life so like obviously like they have something figured out to be able to come in there and like these people are jealous of them but like look like they figured it out like they solve the game to where they they're happy and like them coming in and interacting in the poker room for a couple hours every day like that's you know what 
you know, they, they figured out life. Like if you're sitting there struggling and jealous of them being able to blow off whatever, like that's not a spot you want to be in. That's not a way to live life to be jealous and have that. Like yeah. who wants that? I don't even think those guys always see it as jealousy, right? They just, they just see it as like them being superior in some weird way because they're better at poker than somebody who's ultra successful in life. Um, which, Correct. yeah, it's just, it's silly. And again, I like, never understood that. Like, like, why would you, you know, make fun of somebody who makes a bad poker decision when they're like, if you got to know them, like they're like super interesting, you know, super unique and like their life stories and like their experiences like got them to where they're at like you should be wanting to learn from them like if they can go off and, and blow a bunch of money in poker and go you know all in blind and PLO for 10 hands in a row and not care like I mean I would want to be in that position and like guys that are you know playing 40 60 hours a week of poker like should want to be in that position not make fun of the guys that are in that position yeah it's the you know, that's the it, it's what happens when somebody's identity gets fully wrapped up into being a good winning poker player. And that's the only thing that kind of matters to them. They're out of balance. And that just leads to jealousy, resentment, unhappiness, sometimes arrogance. It's not a good way to be, in my opinion. Right. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm I mean, I would preach to anybody that wants to get into poker. Don't make poker your full 100 percent source of income. Don't make poker 100 percent. You don't make playing poker specifically your main source of income or your only source of income. It could be your main source, but don't let it be your only source of income. Don't, you know, have playing poker be reliant on your happiness and your income and, and all of that. So like having other things going on is key in my yeah. opinion. Because 49% of the time, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> like you, you're just going to be miserable about close to 50% of the time when you lose, right? Um, right. We, we need to aim, aim a little bit higher than that percentage. Um, Mike, it's been great having you on. Uh, Thanks, love the I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the conversation. And you know, final question, we'll get you out of here. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, so my Twitter's at Mike Nori. Um, you can find me there. I'm not a huge social media person, but uh, you can find me there. Instagram at Mike Nori. Also, not I'm not a super you know uh, public figure, but uh, yeah, I mean I share some nuggets here and there on Twitter for sure. So that's probably the best spot. Thanks, Brian. No problem, man. Those will be on the show pages for you to click through following this conversation. Mike, have a good rest of your day, my friend. Thanks. You too. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.